Hello and welcome back to the Your Active Agri-Food podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Your Active's Agri-Food news team. This week, what's in the menu for 2022? Restaurants struggling and veganuary. Well, hello and welcome back and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year. It's been a long time. It has. It's been a little while. Back in 2023. What has 2023 got in store for us? This it seems question. like uh, one year ago. Guys. <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not our first time. No, not at all. Uh, so welcome back. Welcome back to our listener. Welcome back to our uh, beautiful host, uh, Natasha Foote, so uh, Julia Dam, and oh. Gerardo Fortuna, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course... This is the beginning of the year, but it's also the beginning of something very, yeah, let's come back to the EU bubble stuff. Mm. Uh, it's also the beginning of a new EU presidency. Woohoo! Other the, people the, celebrate New Year's Eve, EU nerds celebrate the, the new presidency. The presidency, yeah. yeah. Yeah, these are the big markers of the year, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the presidency that it's currently held by the Swedish <laughs> government. Okay, yeah. I was doing a drum roll, but that's fine. Yeah, for for our listeners, all the effects uh, are actually made by Natasha herself. (laughs) It's not uh, special. Yeah. 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 Drum rolls, everything. Very talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, is, uh, you know, not only restaurants are struggling, but also we are struggling. (laughs) (laughs) Restaurant struggling is the uh, reference to something we're going to talk uh, about later in this episode, first episode of 2023. But yeah, the Swedish presidency. And of course, like every other presidency, there are some priorities. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are some priorities also when it comes to agriculture and food. Yep. Which are? Which are? I- I'm supposed to say everything in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which are, uh, of course... Um, uh, there, there's a re- there's a, a paper actually uh, that was already published in uh, in December, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, one of the main focus will be on the market situation in light of uh, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which was a bit of a, of a priority also of the previous uh, uh, the past two presidents. A bit, a bit of a priority. <laughs> a bit of a priority, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's safe to say that will continue dominating. You know, all this discussion on food security, food production, trade-related issues, uh, everything to do with with Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, and of course there are also um, you know the some pending or outstanding file uh, files. Um, we're gonna talk about that uh, too. Yeah, don't give the game away just yet, but they yeah. will be overseeing a number of quite. And there's also the mention of the bioeconomy. Which is, uh, to be fair, all the Nordic uh, countries uh, have a high consideration of bioeconomy. I remember even the Finnish presidency in 2019. Oh, you're showing your age a bit there. In 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bioeconomy was quite uh, high on the agenda and it's the same for, uh, for Sweden. But, but we're going to do a little game. We're going to pick our uh not favorite but uh, the topic that we're probably going to cover more in uh, 2023 mm-hmm. uh, starting with julia Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm changing uh, i'm changing the order yeah 
I don't have any New Year's resolution, but I, I do have a topic that is um will be on my mind in 2023. It's my 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 resolution is to stay on this topic, if you will. Um, and that topic is pesticides. It's been super contentious this year already, when the European Commission tabled proposals in summer that foresee slashing pesticide use and risks in half by 2023. Um, and it's fair to say that. This hasn't gone down too well with member states. They aren't too much of a fan of this proposal. And they've started fighting back. Um, in the last kind of episode of the saga back in December, member states officially requested a further impact assessment from the EU Commission on the impact that reducing pesticide use could have on food security, especially in the context of the Ukraine war. And basically... Greens and green campaigners are fearing that this could uh, delay or even derail um, the Commission's plans. So this will be an issue to watch during this Swedish presidency. Um, are talks about this going to be delayed? Are they going to be held? How are they going to go? How much of a fight are mem member states going to put up? Um, and exactly, it's, it's, it's going to be quite contentious, I think. We can, we can already predict. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that's going to be a, a key theme over the next few months. The importance of picking the topic first, because uh, we are uh, we all wanted to say pesticide use. <laughs> so, well, there's some other contentious things coming up as well. Okay, so, go go with yours. I go, I go, I go with yeah, mine. Go for it. Well, I would say a particularly contentious file that uh, the Swedish president that we have to uh, have to reside over will be the. Um, the proposal on new genomic techniques or gene editing as it's or called. Or new plant or... breeding techniques. There's many, many different ways to say it, but essentially let's go with gene editing, shall we say. Um, so in the second quarter of 2023, that's when we're going to have the commission's long awaited verdict, basically whether to not or whether or not to loosen EU rules on the on gene editing. And the commission's already given kind of several hints that actually it's kind of maybe favoring a softening or a, I don't know to what extent, but a deregulation of gene editing. Uh, there was this talk before Christmas of maybe a bit of a, a trade between actually the pesticide issue that you mentioned, Julia, uh, trying to soften the, the centre right of the parliament by saying, OK, we, don't, we know you don't like pesticides, but we have something else uh, to offer. Um, there was also a mention of this in the uh, very recent the food security report that the commission just just put out, and I think it's safe to say that's also going to be extremely controversial. Indeed, and the other controversial uh, topic for this year, of course, I have to say that because of my citizenship, uh, which is already at risk for my very controversial opinion on. Uh, pizza with pineapple mm. uh, but uh, yeah I'm talking about the front of pack uh, labeling uh, new rules that the commission is expected to present um, in uh, in uh, in 2023 it should be in the second quarter but yeah it, it, it was originally penciled uh, for the end of 2022 and it was uh, postponed and and, uh, and we know that it's super controversial and the closer we are to the European election, the more controversial will become. So uh, the commission has a, a, a real strict time frame to, uh, uh, again, put forward these rules for a EU-wide harmonized nutritional, not only nutritional, also animal welfare, mm. uh, labeling. Yeah, at, the label. Yeah, 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 yeah labeling uh, at the EU level. 
um, there wasn't a lot of progress during the Czech presidency, also because they they were busy with the, with other uh, topic. But uh, let's see if this will be the year of uh, of uh, the labeling mm. in the EU. Sounds like we're going to be kept busy. And of course, we'll be keeping you all up to speed with our coverage on all of these topics. So do check out uh, the Euractive website. So that's the kind of overview of the of the year ahead. But now we're going to give you a little overview of the week that we've just had, because we have started off the year with various different things happening. Uh, you liked the game of uh, the three pigs. The three pigs? <laughs> yeah, not the pigs. Picks. Oh, three picks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that does make more sense than three pigs, although it sounded great. Anyway, yeah, let's keep with the three, shall we? So we can go for the, the three biggest things that happened this week. Yeah. And I'm the one in charge now, so I can I can say who's going first. So Gerardo. I mean, well, yeah. yeah. What was your what was the biggest story from this week that you think? No, there, there was a very interesting story uh, that uh, that was covered by our colleague Paula um, on uh, on Spanish olives. Uh, our most loyal listeners will probably remember the famous Cintura Negra when we uh, miss how can I say miss uh, interpreted the words of uh, the. The Spanish agriculture minister Luis Planas <laughs> misinterpreted the nice way to put it. <laughs> who was referring to aceitunas negras, so black olives, and we we got cintura negra, thinking that it was some kind of, I, don't know, I think it was black belt. Yeah, we yeah, thought yeah. it was black. Either belt. a regional, a region in Spain, or some kind of part of pork, basically. Again, it, it wasn't our finest moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, thanks goodness we finally have uh, a Spanish colleague that. Yes. Uh, that could uh, uh, tackle, no, they could face uh, um, without any problem uh, the the important issue of the Spanish black olives. Uh, just to give a recap, uh, what happened is that uh, Washington imposed some tariffs in 2018 on the imports of Spanish olives, uh, claiming that there's a disproportionate amount of use subsidies directed to Spanish, Spanish olive producers because they, they're a beneficiary of uh, the Common Agricultural Policy Fund. So uh, that's why it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, issue because it's about Common Agricultural Policy and how, it could, and how products that, are be, that have been uh, funded by the EU or uh, that, uh, that are actually, uh, that received support from the EU uh, could be prevented from entering into a certain market or in the U.S. market. So uh, there was a legal battle. Uh, the EU, representing Spain, uh, brought the, uh, this dossier to the uh, WTO. There was a panel. WTO actually said that the EU is right. Uh, but at the same time, the, EU's, the, U- the U.S. Uh, is not doing anything to implement the WTO uh, decision. So uh, there's the there was this hearing at the European Parliament in which the Commission uh, tried to reassure again the Spanish uh, olive producers and in general the or the member states because as I said this is really about um, how common agricultural policy is perceived uh, outside the, the EU. Uh, so it's it's uh, the, the commission said that they're gonna they're gonna follow up on this, uh, but to be fair, uh, 
as always, as uh, as uh, as I mean, when, when we're talking about WTO and the US, uh, it might be a bit more complicated than uh, than normal. Mm. Cintura negra to be continued. Cintura negra to be continued, but uh, I know you're. Uh, yeah, I'm actually in charge. Here. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, Yulia, you've been writing some interesting things this week. <laughs> um, what was your story this week that you liked the most? Yes. Okay. I'm next. So. Um... I wrote this week about um, Ukrainian grain. We already mentioned earlier, Ukraine and um, food security likely to stay a topic on the agenda throughout the year. And uh, this was evidenced already during the first meeting of um, the European Parliament's Agriculture Committee this week, last week, um, which already talked about um, Ukrainian grain. So if you remember, the EU put in place um, shortly after Russia's invasion this initiative called Solidarity Lanes, which is basically a set of measures supposed to help bring grain and maize and other agricultural products out from Ukraine, help export them through all available routes, so rail, uh, road, and ship. Uh, and this has been quite um, quite effective, quite successful. Um, for example, in December, a total of 3 million tons of grain were exported via these Solidarity Lanes. Uh, the Commission, EU Commission, is very happy with the success. But while it works well to bring grain out of the country, out of Ukraine, um, there are some problems that start behind the border once the grain has come into those EU countries that border Ukraine. And this is a problem that these countries have um, been pointing to for several months already. And it's that the grain basically, or a lot of grain, goes to these countries, but then doesn't continue on to go on to other EU markets or even global markets where it's most needed. And instead, it floods the market in these regions and thereby uh, puts down prices and crowds out local producers from the market. So farmers in Romania, for example, in Poland and border regions uh, are struggling. And for example, during this committee meeting, um, the um, lawmaker from Romania called uh, Daniel Buda, read out a message that he'd actually received from a farmer in Romania who explained that um, so much Ukrainian maize had come into the market in the country that prices have gone down way be below production costs and he is now leaving his 200 hectares of corn on the field, not harvesting it because it's just not worth it. And there was a commission representative present during the, during the meeting who basically tried to calm nerves about this about this topic. He said the commission acknowledges that there's this problem, they're aware of it, they're mindful of it, but basically his position was not to fret. Um, he said lots of investments are already being made in better logistics to make sure the grain can pass on, although he didn't specify where this money is coming from and what exactly is being done with it. Is this EU money, is it private money, is it national money? He didn't say. Um, and he also said that in the long run, this will actually benefit the country's neighboring Ukraine, because if Ukraine is more and more integrated into the EU market, they'll have lots of new export markets at their own exposal to the eastern Ukraine. So um, he basically told everyone not to worry too much. Um, yeah, but of course, lawmakers from the countries affected weren't too convinced by that. 
Mm, yeah, it's interesting because I do remember you said that there were this issue came up a few months ago. I remember that, that we, we had some coverage on this. And just a few months back, the commission was very much like, no, 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 there's no problems. There's no issues here. Everything's fine. And now there's been a bit of a change of tune and they're acknowledging that there is the problem here. Um, but I remember even then a few months back, I think it was farmers in Romania were saying they were, you know, on the on the brink of bankruptcy because of this problem. Um, so definitely be interesting to see how how this evolves. And so, yeah, last but not least, I'll talk about a story that I was working on this week. And that is that we kicked off this year. So this year we saw the entry into force of this cap reform on the 1st of January, the one that we've been talking about for years and months. But actually... We, uh, we all thought, finally. Oh. Yeah, finally, it's closed, done deal. You know, it's over with. We're now into the uh, entry into force. But... Actually, we kicked off this year with EU Agriculture Commissioner addressing uh, the uh, European Parliament's Agriculture Committee, talking about the next CAC reform, which is kind oh, of no. traumatic to think about. That we're already, I mean, we're already going to have to lay things in, in place to start talking about this next CAC reform. And he was basically saying that, you know, with the soaring inflation that has been impacting the EU agri-food sector and with the you know repeated crisis we've seen from COVID to the Ukraine war, Basically, the commissioner is lobbying for more money already to be given to the next cap reform. So he was give, making this this case in uh, in front of MEPs this week. Um, it's not the first time he said this. We also had an interview yeah. with the commissioner back before Christmas uh, where he said the same thing. Um, but this time he he basically said that he's going to be putting things in place to push for this actively before the before the end of his mandate. Yeah, we need to check whether if it's an idea from Wojciechowski or actually the, the full commission is backing this. Because, of course, I mean, uh, common agricultural policy is already a huge uh, portion of um, mm. of the MFF, of the... Third of the E budget, yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's also perceived as controversial. I, I, I remember how controversial it was... Uh, to keep the same amount of uh, percentage, uh, considering uh, the UK is living in the in the um, in the current actually MFF. So mm. uh, let's and see. under even more under conditions with even more financial pressure. And to be fair, also even considering the different initiatives of the EU, right? because uh, the EU in the in over the past five years, uh, but even over the past ten years. Uh, change a lot their uh, their uh, priorities uh depends also on the on what the what's the the view of the commission on the future of the role of the the european union no because there's a lot of uh, push on uh, more geopolitical powers uh more health powers as well so uh, this could also lead to redirecting funds from uh not only communication policy, but even cohesion policy, you know, the the biggest uh, portions in the world. In other news, um, there was actually a big news this last week. It was reported literally everywhere. It's a food news. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, I mean, something happened in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's about... Noma's Noma restaurant. Ah, yes. The news, the best restaurant in the world. Used to be, used to be. Well, yeah, because now it's closing. <laughs> it's closing in 2025. Oh, 2025. It's not there's st- there's there's st- still hope. There's still hope. Guys, we're launching here crowdfunding, crowdfunding to bring... <laughs> 
Maybe it's actually me, a trick. Me, Natasha, and Yulia to have the last meal of uh, no campaign to bring the three little pigs. For yeah, a meal. yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, it's not even that much. It's a, a full menu is five hundred dollars. What? Yeah, but guys, not that much. No, but Whoa. there's a. I mean, I know that this is a this is a bit uh, controversial, but uh, this is really there's a lot of study research on that. Like I remember when I when I went to Cadiz in Spain on reporting on uh, salt marshes, uh, the the guy, I mean, the, the owner and also the the founder of uh, of Noma, the chef René Redzepi. I don't know if it's uh, if it's the right pronunciation. He was in 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 Cadiz as well, and he was actually investigating or studying uh, uh, salt in salt marshes. Wow! Still five hundred dollars. It's a lot. Yeah, but <laughs> he's also closing because apparently it's not economically viable, right? Yeah, indeed, wow. indeed, it's not economically viable. People paying five hundred dollars. Imagine, so if he's struggling, imagine how much other restaurants are struggling, which leads us nicely on. Nicely on, our um, first uh, guest of this uh-huh. uh, podcast, uh, because our uh, reporter in France, uh, Hugo Struna, uh, went speaking to to this uh, chef from uh, the Brasserie Mollard in, uh, in a very nice place of Paris, Garçon uh, Hazard. Uh-huh. Uh, Stefan Markov, uh, and he spoke to to Hugo about the struggling of restaurants uh, that restaurants are facing right now, uh, mostly because of the energy crisis. Mm. Okay, it's not Norma, but uh, <laughs> no, a second-rate Norma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the uh, a very famous bra- brasserie in France uh, with uh, with uh, employing for forty-five people, uh, serving between uh, three hundred uh, five hundred uh, meals per day. Uh, so let's hear from uh, Stefan uh, what's uh, what's the current situation for restaurants and why they're struggling right now. And we are facing uh, the last times uh, increase from our purchase, price of purchase. I have an example, uh, the sirloin steak. Uh, we used to buy uh, 19 euros in January uh, 2022. Uh, four months later, in April, we had to pay for the same quality uh, of uh, science sirloin steak, uh, 24 euros. So plus five euros uh, the kilo uh, in four months, it's quite a lot. And uh, we do have other products, uh, raw products that are also increasing between uh, 10 and 20%. So how can we manage uh, this uh, inflation of our purchase? You have different choices. Either you you buy a lower quality to pay less, then you, you, you sell your clients a lower quality food. Either you put less food on the plate instead of a 200 uh, grams of meat, you put 150 grams of meat for the same price. 
or you decide to keep the quality, you to keep the quantity on the plate, and you are somewhere obliged to increase your selling price. Otherwise, uh, you have a risk on the liability of your restaurant. And all the restaurants in Paris and in France are in the same situation? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's all over the country in France, huh? not specifically in Paris or in the kind of uh, the establishment we are running. And for our second guest this year, so kicking off this year in the spirit of being in January and, you know, New Year's resolutions and things like that, many people do this thing called Veganuary. I don't know how familiar you guys are. I don't, with I, I don't know how it's, it's pronunciated now, I'm joking. V, v, I think it must be Veganuary, no? Veganuary. And this is this plant-based food challenge. So lots of people that are maybe toying with the idea of going vegan or just kind of curious or thinking about mixing up their diets. You know, they, a lot of people take on this New Year's resolution to uh, eat vegan for the entire month of January. And this is something that actually is gaining a lot of traction. I know in the UK, it's actually very, very popular now. Um, lots and lots of people are signing up to, to this challenge. And I think it's spreading somewhat in the EU as well. Um, but I, I know the UK side of things and in this kind of this mindset and thinking about Veganuary, um, our reporter, Paula Andres, actually, she went to a documentary screening of a documentary called, uh, who we eat yeah, in Brussels, in Brussels. Uh, and it's all about meat consumption and kind of, you know, cultural and societal and ethical considerations of meat consumption. And she actually got to speak with the directors of this documentary. Yeah, both Yanis uh, Fank and uh, Jakob Schmidt. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here's what they had to say. In the documentary, one of the activists uh, says that, well, in the first episode at least, uh, says that he's optimistic that he will see, that we will see the end of animal farming in, within our generation. Um, do you, after, after filming this documentary, um, two questions. Do you think we will see the end of animal farming? And the second question is, uh, did your views uh, evolve or change throughout the process of filming uh, your personal views? Yeah, so our views definitely changed over the course of the of the project. We started as uh, one vegetarian, one meat eater, and came out as two vegans. So <laughs> the project so definitely definitely changed. Um, and um, uh, yeah, we uh, or at least I personally, I think the that the system will uh, collapse, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be in my lifetime. I think more on the time scale of 100 to 200 years, I think it's very hard to imagine that this could persist. It's, I think it's absurd to think that we will have the same system 100 years from now. Maybe it's also a matter of defining the system, what, what you count in there. But if you talk about... Uh, um, the way it's done in the global north, uh, the factory farming aspect um, is something that maybe we will witness because uh, we have another issue to, to, to deal with and this is uh, climate change and we now know, now know how urgent those questions um, um, are as well, uh, taking um, um, well-being of uh, living beings uh, aside and this maybe is an aspect that could speed up the whole process but um, you get kind of always you get those responses by people trying to justify what's going on in, for example, in conventional factory farming uh, 
uh, asking you about what about some nomadic people uh, far away who uh, have traditions um, uh, that are connected to um, to using their their animals for their purposes and for uh, for their um, traditions. And I think we can take those aspects aside and just focus on what's uh, right in front of our eyes in uh, in Europe and in the global north. And that's all from us this week. And this week, the Euractive AgriFood podcast is produced like every week by Euractive's AgriFood team, Natasha Food, Gerardo Fortuna, Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so that you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks for listening and see you next week. <laughs>